Hey, this is Travis Bennett, the pastor here at Arena of Life Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I pray this builds your faith, encourages you, and brings you to newer levels in Christ. Enjoy the message. Amen. Well, I'm going to read to you Acts chapter 9, and then we're going to continue in our study on the life of Saul, Paul. Are you ready? Then Saul. Still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus, and he was there three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately fell fell from his eyes uh, something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received, uh, so when he had received food, he was strengthened. Amen. I get strengthened too when I get food, (laughs) preferably Mexican food. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached to Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on, on this name in Jerusalem and has, and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. That's a big basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. 
But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he went with them at Jerusalem, coming and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren, the, the, there's a flip of the script here, are you seeing this? When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him to Tarsus. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. If you were here last week, we talked about in detail uh, the first part of this story right here of Paul's conversion. Of how Jesus comes to him and says, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you, Lord? And uh, uh, he, he loses his sight. He, he doesn't eat or drink. So he goes to, this, goes to Judas' house, goes to a street called Straight, where a man, and this is the emphasis that we went off uh, last week, was thank God for men and women like Ananias that answer the call and be obedient to what God has called them to do. I don't know about you, but I want to be an Ananias in a Saul's life. Amen? And so, <clears throat> just thinking about that, before we get into the study tonight, I, I'm thinking about some scriptures that we all, we know so well that were penned through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, obviously, but through this man named Paul, and, uh, or Saul. And in thinking about this, you know, he first gets saved, and the Bible says immediately he went to preaching the gospel. But don't you know, there was still a little bit of flesh on Saul. There'd have to be. I mean, I'd hate to be the one who cut him off in traffic, right? Especially a guy that just came from picking up stones and killing somebody and was leading down the road to kill some more people. There's been innocent blood that's been on his hand. Do I believe he's been redeemed? Yes. Do I believe he's been forgiven? Yes. But how many of y'all know there comes a time where we've got to renew our mind? Are you hearing me? That there, there comes a time. It's just like this. The scripture says in Romans 12, 1 and 2 that we know so well. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present, this is coming from Paul, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that is what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How many of you all know you have to have your mind renewed? I'm going to ask that one more time. How many of you know you have to have your mind renewed? And it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you've been serving God 10 minutes, 10 hours, 10 days, 10 years. You've got to constantly renew your mind. And it would be like this. If you had, a, you know, in the salvation experience, can you imagine somebody comes up here? We have an altar call on a Sunday morning. They get saved. If, they, if their mind was completely transformed, you'd have to teach them how to talk. You'd have to teach them how to walk. They wouldn't know who they were or anything like that. If it was like men in black. Ching, that's what happened. Don't y'all wish that's what happened in a moment of salvation? <laughs> to where it's like you don't remember anything you've ever done, said, or been, or any of that. And so, isn't it very fitting out of the life that he came out of that God would use him to give scriptures to us like this, that you've got to renew your mind? Isn't it very fitting that God would use a man like Paul to write 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6? It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Right? He says, but mighty in God to the pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 6, he says against uh, 
we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers over uh Darkness and wickedness in high places. How many of y'all know some of the most wicked things that happen are the highest place on the body is inside the mind? And so I think it's very fitting that, that uh, especially in the story of where we're going today, because we're about to study the text of how he is sent back to a place of waiting in Tarsus for many years. Immediately he began to preach the gospel, but, but they were after him. But there, I believe there was a time there that we've got to spend. How many of y'all know, after you get saved, you've got to spend time in the word of God. Right? You've, you've, and and you, it doesn't just, not at the beginning, even to the very end. You've you got to finish strong as well in the word of God. And get in the presence of God. I think it's very fitting that he wrote Philippians chapter 4, 6 through 8, where it says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Don't you know that he was wrestling with guilt, condemnation? Even though he was saved, how many of y'all, we're all saved in the room, but how many of y'all know the enemy still comes in like a flood? The enemy still comes in like a flood and still reminds us of things that we wish we would have never done. But how many of y'all know, uh, um, uh, God is not interested in your past. He's interested in your future. And anytime you start looking through the uh, rearview glass of your life, uh, and you, you get off focus of the big picture of the windshield of what God has in store for you, there will be wrecks in the way. So that's why you've got to continually renew your mind. That's just a side note before we get into our discussion tonight. So Paul, so Paul now, he is on a mission. So this is where we'll pick up uh, the story. I'm going to kind of teach. this. I don't have very uh, many notes tonight. But uh, <clears throat> there's a few things that I want to, uh, as a takeaway tonight, before we go. So how many of y'all know we were never meant to live life alone? How many of y'all know two is better than one? The Bible is very clear that that two is better and stronger than one independent person. Jesus said, for when two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. In the book of James, he said uh, to confess your sins one to another so that there would be healing. You were never meant to live life alone. Looking back on the life of Saul and what we have seen so far, he was submitted to authority. But let's be honest, he had no problem standing alone. The problem we, when we stand alone, looking uh looking like we can make it on our own, we, we can really quickly forget that we need the Lord. We not only need the Lord, but we also need each other, big time. The need for others only increases when a big dose of life with winds. Can we talk about the wind tonight? <laughs> with, with the winds of adversity. Did you guys see on I-40 it blew that... that uh, uh, bank signed down. Wells Fargo, Lord have mercy. With winds of adversity coming, trying to blow your house and soul down, we simply cannot make it on our own. We cannot direct our own steps in the right way without the Lord and without each other. You may have heard people say, God helps those who help themselves. Please tell me where that is, where that is found. I believe the Bible teaches the opposite. God waits to assist those who finally come to a place in their life where they cannot help themselves. It's better to come to a place and tell the Lord, you take over. You give me strength because my way isn't working. Aren't you thankful you came to that place? When was the last time you told the Lord that? Quit trying to think that you're the captain of your own soul. 
we might be like the old Saul if we are living and thinking this way. We all need lessons in humility. I believe it's something you will see tonight as we see the next chapter of Saul's life. Let's pick up where we left off in Saul's life in Acts chapter 9. By the time Saul left Arabia, the Lord had already begun to work on his stubborn will, reversing the effects of a life lived independently of God and others. Unlike his conversion, unlike his conversion, such a transformation would not be instantaneous. Instead, Saul learned dependence through a series of circumstances where without the assistance of a lesser known individuals, he he wouldn't have been able to keep on trucking. Let's look at the text, Acts 9, 19. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem? And as and has he come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this is the Jesus is the Christ. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. And they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the, through the wall in a large basket. The scene opens up with Saul immediately preaching in the synagogues of Damascus. The people are amazed. They're all wondering where he learned to preach so effectively. Well, he is a seminary graduate. Can we all remember that? I believe he knew just enough to be dangerous. A new believer right out of the gate. He also, if you don't recall, was gifted and intelligent, but probably, if we're being honest, unprepared for the challenges that would lie ahead. Saul's intellect, no doubt, focused on a new theology. I knew it was a blessing to many, but to the Jewish leaders, he was becoming a threat right away. So they began to devise a plan to get rid of the gospel preaching menace. Think about this. The hunter has now become the hunted. Now he had, had, now he had a different kind of enemy. And they were plotting at every entrance into the city to kill him. But think about it like this. It was probably God's plan to break the independent spirit off of him. The disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. People came to his rescue, his disciples. Uh, We may not know who they are by name, but what we do know about them is that they took him out by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. This is some special ops rescuing, right? I hope you're seeing already what a testimony his life is. The great Saul of Tarsus, Christian killer, saying, sure, I'll get in your basket. Breaking a spirit of independence off of him through a nameless group of faithful disciples to rescue him from death by means of a basket hanging from a rope. This is one way to start a ministry. Ask yourself this question. When was the last time you were let down by a basket? Has there been a time in your life when you were so desperately dependent on godly people to be there for you in your life? Have you been in such needs before that your only hope of going on was being rescued by some faithful friends? Don't you know this taught him great humility? R.C.H. Linsky, commentary of Paul's life, writes, Paul's career began like that of Moses, with flight and with a long period of waiting. Waiting, nothing but waiting. This makes the flight from Damascus so significant. 
It forced Paul into the long wait in which he fully learned he was nothing, that his mightiest asset was utter weakness, weakness which enabled God to do everything with him and through him. So let's summarize this Jesus story from where we began. In the middle of his first day on the ministry job, a threat to his life forced him to escape under the cover of night. He came in to all this with such pomp and pride. Then he was blinded, starved, met by an unknown disciple named Ananias, brought to a group of disciples, escaped to Arabia, came to Damascus only to be rescued from death by the hands of a few nameless friends. Now where does he go? The plot thickens. Y'all like my narrative here? Acts chapter 9 and verse 26. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Jerusalem. Yes, the town he went to graduate school in. The town he knew like the back of his own hand. Every road, back road, alley, and escape route. What a place to restart his public ministry. I can see the headlines in the Jerusalem Gazette. Pharisee turns evangelist now appearing at the Civic Center. Come see and hear the most, fam- the most fabulous faith-filled pioneer. But it was nothing like this. Nope, the disciples were afraid of him. They did not even believe he was a disciple. Rejected again, but only this time by people he wanted in his corner. Fear stopped it. Fear stops a lot of things. But let's be honest. Why wouldn't they be guarded? He had probably killed many of their close friends at this point. Even close relatives, but Saul still felt rejected. And as much as I hate to saying it, this type of thing happens all the time. Have you ever known of someone who had at one time such a bad track record that no one wanted to associate with them or invite them into fellowship? People lots of times get rejected because of their past. But thankfully, there are people out there that forgive the baggage on you just as Jesus did and tell them, let's walk through this together. This is what happened in Paul's life. A man stepped up voluntarily by the name of Barnabas. It says, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road. And that he had spoken to him. And how he had preached boldly at Damascus the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and going out. But Barnabas, that might be the title of my book if I write one on godly relationships. Out of nowhere comes Barnabas to lift up Saul and, and, and be his advocate. Got a topple there, but be his advocate. How did he know Saul needed help? Well, that's a mystery. All I know is we serve a sovereign God, and there are divine appointed Barnabas in every place in our life. We just have, to, we just have two eyes to see and hearts to be ready and receive when they come to give us encouragement. So instead of operating out of fear and prejudice, Barnabas stepped up, took Saul to the disciples. What, what's great in, in the story is that Saul accepted his assistance, breaking even more of his independence. The Bible says that Barnabas brought him to the disciples and described to them that he had seen the Lord and the rest of his testimony. This is a divine appointment. He basically was saying... He saw the risen Christ just like all of us. So he's on our team now. Move over and make a seat available for him at the table. 
The text goes on to say that he was moving freely about Jerusalem with them, speaking boldly the name of Jesus. For the first time ever, Saul was speaking freely about Christ in Jerusalem in the company of his now respected colleagues, set free now to be himself for the glory of God. What made the difference? Barnabas. Be a Barnabas. Do you know someone right now that is facing all the odds of life because of, his past, uh, because of their past track record? That person that has turned their life around, yet no one wants to believe it, step up like Barnabas did for Saul. Look for the individual that needs a second chance in life. But if you know the rest of Saul's story, it didn't stop with Barnabas. Bible says in verse 29, And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. I know we have talked about acts of humility tonight already, but can you imagine going back to your hometown with a track record like, track record like his? They, knew, they know him well. His grandpappy's pappy's pappy too. At least... They know who he used to be, and I can't imagine them being very impressed. There may be a few in the, in the valley that he had made matters right with, but for the most part, no. I don't know why Tarsus, I don't know why Tarsus, but I do know God doesn't make mistakes when he leads us to specific places. This is especially true when it's to play places we would not have chosen on our own. F.B. Meyer said, so the disciples brought the hunted preacher down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Not improbably, he resumed tent making there, content to wait the Lord's will and bidding. Years passed slowly, possibly four or five were spent in comparative obscurity and neglect. Let me remind you of a scripture. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine. To bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. Hold up. This is the guy that was commissioned by the Lord to reach kings and rulers. Gentiles. Remember when he was born, the Bible tells us Philippians that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Meaning this, growing up in his childhood, he was taught, he would, he would pray this in the morning time. He would say, I thank God that I am a Jew and God didn't make me a Gentile. Only God could do this, right? And now he's back in his hometown of Tarsus in a time of waiting. Nobody likes to wait. Don't you just love red lights? Come on. If you know you have a gift and the need is great, waiting can make no sense at all. We want progress right now in our microwave society. Look what goes on, look what it goes on to say. Acts 9.31. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Yes, without Saul. Not only did the church keep going, but it flourished and grew. This can be a hard pill for many people to swallow, especially to people that are called and gifted. The secret to the church then and now is not about remarkably gifted individuals. The secret to the church that is blessed is about God. It's not you or me, it's the Lord. Today, more than ever, people are put on pedestals. You know, um, I talked a little bit about that. And that's why I believe that uh, in America, we're going to a place of revival. Because over the last couple of years, you see that 
of great men, and I don't really believe their intentions were of that, but I can just see it as I talked to, um, uh, I was talking to some young people down at the barn of, of, and bless their hearts, their their losses of all weeds, uh, uh, losses of all and high weeds, and re- God's really put me in their life, I believe, for such a time as this to impart into them and share the gospel with them. But there are some preachers that they listen to on on an occasion. But I can hear that as they talk about them, they talk about them like they're God. Rather than the king of kings. Well, they're just so gifted in the way they talk and the way they share things and things like that. And I, and, I, and truly, I believe that those preachers didn't want that. But we've just came to a society where that's what church has come about. Of the individual that leads the pack. Listen, that individual was gifted for a reason by Jesus. Amen. And if we lose sight of that, we get messed up. But I think about kids uh, even today. Isn't it something how these kids... Um, 14, 15 years old, having, uh, I, I shoe some horses for a lady uh, out of Canyon that she works, uh, she's a physical therapist over these young kids. And these kids are like 14 and, 15, 14 and 15 years old, and they're having shoulder surgeries. They're having uh, all kinds of surgeries because their parents are pushing them so hard to get that college, uh, um, to, to, to play sports. What am I talking about? The scholarship. Scholarship. To play, to go to the big leagues. And she said, you know, as I question them, I don't necessarily know that they're doing it for themselves anymore, but they're doing it for their mom and dad. And what what's, it's scary when we put, whether it be a kid or anything, up on a pedestal. Right? And so a lot of people might think that Saul was a waste of talent being put on hold, but not at all. Is Tarsus a, Tarsus a punishment assignment? Well, not if God wanted him to be prayed up and prepared to write to the Romans. Not if he was going to later make an impact at the church at Corinth. Not if he wanted to use Saul in mentoring a boy named Timothy for a lifetime of strategic ministry in Ephesus. When you read these books, they're not only done by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but also from someone with a depth of character. Let's read it again. They didn't, uh, oh, I meant to put that scripture back in there. Then the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, Samaria, had peace and were edified. They also had peace because uh, the Christian killer was off the streets. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. They didn't need Saul, but in Tarsus, Saul had the time to learn that he needed them. It wasn't about independence anymore. I want to talk about some takeaways tonight of what we can take from this. How many of y'all want to be a Barnabas in somebody's life? Amen. Also, also too, I, I want Barnabases in my life. Because it don't matter how good life is going. How many of y'all know there's some curveballs that if the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy? And I thank God for, for moments in my life where uh, people, Barnabas, came in and, and encouraged me and built me up and and um, I'm in. In the Lord is just recently bringing some of those into my life. I'm just so grateful for it. Me and Pastor Brandy were having this conversation just the other day of just so thankful uh, what God's doing in our life. But there's some takeaways that I want you to uh, tonight as we think about this. Never underestimate the uh, this of valuing people. 
Come on, we're the body of Christ. How many of y'all know we need to value people? And we need to learn to appreciate and embrace the value of other people. Don't try to live life alone. You're not the lone ranger. Remind yourself that people will play a strategic role in your survival and your success. How many of y'all know God rarely asks us to fly solo? There's, there is uh, safety in soaring with others. You know, one of the uh, things that Noel shared with me, our oldest son that's in the Marine Corps, um, when he was at Pendleton, and they were preparing him to send him um, what, before he went to Virginia and then on to Washington, D.C. But as they were doing these strategic um, maneuvers together, uh, they would send them out there in Pendleton, uh, out he, he, he called it the wilderness. Of course, it kind of looked like the wilderness. Is it the wilderness? It kind of kind of is. But they would send them out over nine, overnight, and they would they would have these strategies where they would put them in, in um, specific situations. And if they had to dig a hole, this is the rule. You don't ever dig a hole for one. You dig a hole for two or three. Because if you're ever in a combat situation, you always need to have someone there to guide you in the right direction. There's going to be one of you that may have lost it, but at least two of you will keep it together. Also, you need the back of somebody else to help you in those moments of combat. How many of y'all know we all go through combat? We go through times where people are sick. We go through financial things. We need Barnabases in our life to instruct us, to encourage us, to build us up. Thank God for the church. <clears throat> Uh, I'm thankful for the favor on my life that that came from other people. Can I tell you? I was I was thinking about this. Um, just there, there's so many times where the Lord has showed me, like the Lord spoke to me, son. That's why you need to value people. I was thinking about one year. Um, I was on the plane. Pastor Brandy had already gone to Vegas. Pastor Ty and Luann, they were already there. I stayed back. I preached the service, and then we went on to go to the National Finals Rodeo. And uh, I flew on the plane with, with this couple, and uh, it was one of those deals. They said, uh, what do you do? Well, I'm a preaching horseshoer. That's what I am. <laughs> and uh, it was amazing just... I, they they found out that I was a minister, and those of you that are ministers in the room, you, you, you it just opens up a whole can of worms. And I was thinking, man, I just preached a message, and I want to get, it's something about airplanes that it just knocks me out. And I wanted to take a nap, but for two hours, they asked me questions of things that were going on in their life. Long story short, uh, I just, I put value into them. I prayed for them. I shared some scripture with them. They were going through a rough time with one of their kids. And we prayed together. And uh, anyways, it was three days later. Uh, we, were, we were at the rodeo. And we had some friends that had came in. And me and, me and Pastor Brandy said, you've got to sit where Pastor Ty and Luann sit. It's an awesome. We're going to give you our seats. Well, I run into this guy that I met on the plane. And he said, you know anybody who needs tickets tonight? And I said, yeah, I actually do. I gave mine away. And he said this. He said, I've got two tickets. Our tickets were better than theirs. Come on, whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And it was at a time where I really didn't want to put value into somebody, but I'm thankful that God had me there for a reason. Another one is, is, is my anvil. You guys know the story of my anvil. I have an anvil in my office. 
It's marked on the side, 1876, New York City. It's made by Alfred Haybudden in the 18, late 1800s. There was two main anvils that were being made. Peter Wright in England, Alfred Haybudden uh, in New York City. I could talk for 30 minutes about anvils, but I won't bore you. I love blacksmith. I love the history of it, and I've studied all of it. But anyways, uh, a lot of you know the story. My anvil was stolen from my home. Uh, I was cooking chicken. I... Um, that, that's where I messed up. I should have been cooking beef. But I was cooking chicken in my garage. I had just made a heart bar shoe for a horse that Dr. Morrow asked me to work on. I had went and got measurements off of his foot. I'm, I blacksmithed a heart bar shoe inside of our garage from on this anvil. Well, I walk out to go flip the chicken, and my anvil stand is down, and my 150-pound Alfred Haybudden anvil is gone. And the, the story of the anvil is awesome. In Plains, Texas, underneath a bunch of tires, I see this anvil, and it happened to be a gold mine. Bought it for $150. I probably could sell it for five and 6000 bucks today. But anyways, it gets stolen. Cop comes to my house. He says, he says to me, uh, um, he asked me, he said, you're probably never going to see it again. Uh, man, this story's a lot longer. I... I in the very next day, he asked. He 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 gave me a police. Uh, he gave me a case number. I wrote the case number on my hand, where we buy our supplies, which used to be on the north side of town, inside of River Road, which was Rancher Supply. Uh, the guy who's a great friend of ours, John Harshbarger, he called me and goes, "There's a there's a guy here trying to sell me your anvil." And I said, "I'll be right there." So I'm sitting in Chili's, and I jump out in the truck. And I called the police station. I said, I need to talk to this detective. This is the case number. He's like, well, I'm sorry, sir. We don't have any police officers that are around that area at this time. Of course, I got in the flesh a little bit. I said, listen, I always carry a gun. And if I am there before you, I can't promise you I ain't going to be an idiot. So anyways, I'm like, tell him to leave the donut stop. I know there's one right around the corner. You know, I'm, I am. I'm in the flesh because I want this anvil back. I repented later. But anyways, they realize something's going on and they leave. 18 months. 18 months go by. Don't hear anything about this anvil. It's gone. This guy calls me. I'll never forget where I was. I was dropping my daughter off. She was going to City View at the time, City View Elementary. This guy calls me. I hadn't heard him for years. Last time I saw him was in the pavilion. I shot horses for his daddy. One time I was at his dad's place. He had these like living quarters over there. He said, I wish you'd really go talk to my son. So I did. I went over to him. I talked to him. Uh, he was hiring a Georgia pine tree. He was all methed up, if you know what I'm saying. He could eat an apple through a chain link fence just the way, you know, just messed up on drugs. And I... You know, I told him, I said, when you're ready, you come see me. He called me two different times. I went and saw him in the pavilion. Um, just wasn't ready to get his life right. He calls me. He tells me his name. He said, you know who I am? I said, I know exactly who you are. He said, I need to meet you. Will you meet me on Western and Beacon Street? You guys know where that is? Western, just right. You cut right through here to Western Street. It's a road off. And he was, he was pulled over, and he was in a Cadillac. And he was wound tighter than a banjo string. I could tell he had been up all night. He's walking around the car like this. And I called Brandy and I said, this is kind of a sketchy deal. I don't know why I'm meeting him. But uh, I'm, he called me. 
and I'm, I'm coming to see him. And he, he began to talk. He said, I'm just so thankful for the times that you, I mean, you know, he's just messed up on drugs. So thankful for the times that you came and saw me. You don't know me from Adam, but you've showed me love and all this different stuff. I said, you okay? He goes, well, long story short, last night I was at this place. We were doing things that you wouldn't agree of. And he said, this guy took me to this room, and he showed me all this cowboy stuff. There was leggings. There was saddles. There was um, uh, bits and spurs. And in the corner was this anvil. And my, I, I got attention. I said, really? He goes, yeah, they told me about this anvil. They said it's cursed. It's got voodoo on it. He said they've tried to sell it several times because they know it's worth some money, but it always falls through, and it's, it, it, it's condemned because they stole it from a preacher. I said, come on, somebody. I, and so I was like, where's this house at? I'm carrying a gun right now. I don't care how many there are. We're going in. We're getting it. And he said, uh, he said about that time, I mean, it's like from a movie. said he hit that trunk. It popped up. There was my anvil. He said, I just want to tell you, like he got big tears in his eyes. He said, I'm so thankful for the times that you took out of your life. He said, this is the funny part. I said, well, how'd you get it out of there? He said, I wait till they all fell, all fell asleep and I stole it back. <laughs> I said, praise the Lord. This is the only time you can steal. All right. It's the only time. I said, I would give you some money, but you know how I feel about that. I ain't giving you a dime. I said, let me take you somewhere and sober you up. So we did. But I'm just thankful in those moments that it took time to put value into people. Come on. And the Lord, the Lord rewards that. And, you're not, and I, I didn't do it for the anvil. I did it because God's called us to be his hands and his feet. Let's be a Barnabas. The next one is this, is walk in humility. That's another takeaway that I want to take away. How many of y'all know that took some humility for him not only to go to Jerusalem, but that took some humility for him to go back to a place of Tarsus? Because we're going the the story doesn't pick up till next week. We talk about Acts chapter eleven, but we know that from this time in chapter nine to chapter eleven, this is several years. And how many of y'all know in that time of waiting, like he was, he was ready to fire. He was ready. To go, And I see this eagerness in lots of people when they first get saved. And I'm not saying that you don't need to share the gospel. But I remember one time a guy in my office, he said, I, I, I don't want to greet people. I mean, he just knew, newly saved. And he's a very charismatic person. And just came out of life of drugs and alcohol. Newly saved. And he said, I want to greet people. I don't want to run a camera. I don't want to work in a sound booth. I don't want to help kids. I need to be preaching the gospel. I said, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> you you need some Tarsus moments, my man, in waiting. How many of y'all know there's times where we need, we need to accept the role in the shadows? We need to accept the role in the shadows. Can I say, tell you from somebody who's been in the shadows for many, 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 many years? Many years. Come on, we ought to thank God. Let's just give a hand to everybody who ministers to kids every single Sunday morning that nobody sees that. Come on, give them a hand tonight. We thank God for those. Amen. There's so many people that work in the sound booth, that run cameras, that do things that nobody else sees, right? Uh, and, and maybe that's something that they, 
they've decided to do. But can I tell you, all of anybody who's been in ministry, I, I'm, I'm looking at Pastor T and Muriel here that's been in ministry for 50 years, right? 40 years. Uh, but 42 years pastoring. But before that, I mean, you've been in ministry for a long time. But, I, I mean, even myself, I, I know they'd tell you the same thing. They've, they've probably cleaned toilets in the church. They've, um, they've mopped. They've, uh, we, we've done that. I promise you, uh, it's a place of humility. Because I'll tell you this, God will elevate you and put you in the right place at the right time. Uh, this weekend, we're going uh, to Liberty to celebrate Ellen Coon's life. And I told you guys a little bit last, last week about Scott and Ellen. I'll never forget the service that we're in. We're actually at camp meeting. And uh, it was actually, we really needed that word from God, but... We had never even talked about it. I don't even know that it was on Pastor Ty and Luann's heart that they would pass the torch to us. And it was it was a very prophetic word that we all needed at that particular time. But can I tell you, when I had to fight everything in me of if I'm going to be the pastor of this church, give me the reins right now. <laughs> and can I tell you, one year pastor said next year it's going to be the year. It's going to be the year. And I was like, no, no, he didn't. And then he'd tell me the next year, no, next year is going to be the year. And then it was another time. He said, next year is going to be the year. You know, we did this for four years. Next year is going to be the year. Can I tell you, in that time of waiting, God did something in my heart that only could have happened. I'm telling you, this place would have been a train wreck if I'd have got the reins too early. God knew. Let's take these moments in Tarsus. Let's take these moments and let God do in us what only God can do. Because God's work is not about us. It's about him. Can I say that again? And I, feel, I mean that with all my heart. It ain't about us. It's about him. The next takeaway that I take from this is we've got to learn to trust God. Rather than thinking of yourself as indispensable... Remind yourself that you're doing all of this for the Lord. The Lord's work must be done the Lord's way. The Lord's work must be done the Lord's way. The Lord's work must be done the Lord's way. Can I tell you there was times where Pastor Ty looked at me in the office. He said, son, if you was to leave here, somebody would take your spot. This building would still stand. Church would still go on. There's nobody that's indispensable. Come on, right? Somebody will take their place. You know the old story of the guy standing, standing at the cemetery. They just put somebody in the ground. He said, whatever he did, somebody's now going to take his spot. Right? And how many of y'all know if we ever get to that place where we're not humble enough to say that, what I'm saying is this, we've always got to put our trust in the Lord because it's his gifting, it's his calling that's on our life. And how many of y'all know, I mean, looking at the life of what he wrote, Paul, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, aren't they a blessing to all of us? And it was in those trenches of the waiting that God did something in him that only God could have done. So if you're in here tonight, and you're in the waiting. Like, if you're 
if you're waiting for the perfect spouse, well, the perfect one is not technically out there. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> All right. Uh, I need to be a Barnabas and encourage you. The perfect one is out there. All right. Amen. Hey, there you go. I knew you'd say amen over there. But uh, I'm telling you, it's in the times of waiting that God could do something in you that you will be ready for that perfect one that comes. Amen. Aren't you thankful you waited? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Did you guys get something out of the word tonight? Thank you, Lord. Well, next week we'll pick up in Acts chapter 11. But let's make a commitment tonight. I know that there's people that you're probably thinking of that you need to be a Barnabas to. You need to be a Barnabas to. But also, too, you need to be looking for some Barnabases in your life to encourage you, build you up. Amen? I hope you guys got something. Lord, we thank you for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for your word that it encourages us, that it directs our steps. Lord, we choose tonight uh, to be that Barnabas. Lord, we all know that there's been times in our walk with Christ uh, of serving you that we needed a Barnabas in our life. And so, Lord, I just pray that we our takeaway tonight is this, that uh, we value one another, that we put value on, one, on, on each other. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would walk in love, uh, that love that's godly, patient, kind, uh, is not envious, is not boastful, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. God, I just pray that, uh, um, Lord, not only would we put value on one another, I pray that, Lord, we would walk in a place of humility. Lord, if there's places in our life where we've cut you out of the equation, Lord, we invite you back in. And we say this, Lord. We say, Lord, uh, whatever you do in me, we want to do it your way. Your way. And, Lord, I just pray for, um, for growth in each and every one of us. I pray, God, that... Uh, You would grant unto us by your rich treasure and glory, strengthen us, reinforce us with might to our inner man, the Holy Spirit himself, to our inmost being and personality. In Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said, amen. Thanks for joining us. We want to thank all of you who give to our ministries here at AOL Church. It's because of you that all of this is possible. You can give now by clicking the link below. And if you haven't already, subscribe and share this message. It helps us reach more people and share the gospel through you. Be sure to stay connected to us through our Church Center app, our website, arenaoflifechurch.org, and follow us on social media like Facebook and Instagram. May the Lord bless you and keep you. His face shine upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace. Thanks again for listening. Go and make a difference today.